0: Greetings, grapple fans, and welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something. I'm once more on our tenth episode run. Uh, we like to keep these in blocks of 10 episodes And we are going to have a little debrief We have watched 10 matches since the previous one 9 of which coming from New Japan Pro Wrestling We better get used to that sort of statistic for the rest of this run um, And we're going to do a bit more debriefing, chart reallocating Alternate 5 star discussing and question answering Yes, it's, let me tell you something I'm your co-host Lorcan Mullen And with me as always is my co-host Simon Cross Simon, have you got your notes ready, your lists prepared, your answers ready to questions, and your opinions for alternative five-star matches ready? I do.
1: I am locked and loaded.
0: Like last time, we'll do a quick rundown of our previous top ten lists in the mutual top five, so you'll get an idea of how many changes we're going to make along the way. Simon, do you want to recite your top ten, or do you want me to do it for you?
1: Uh, no, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it.
0: Okay, okay. okay. So... Strong independent co-host
1: who don't need no man. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Simon, podcast rarely passed the Bechtel test of our podcast, which is, do, does Simon get to speak two sentences <laughs> that aren't
1: interrupted by Lorcan? <laughs> well, you know. A debrief's always usually... Simon, continue on with what you were doing! Amazing. <laughs> right. As things stood after 80 matches, my top 10 was as follows. In at number 10, it was Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13. In at number 9. I'm, I'm not going to keep doing that. No, don't
0: keep
1: going on that. Uh, Mitsuharu Misawa versus Kenta Kabashi in uh, Noah for the GHC world title. 1st oh, that's of that's... March 2003. That took mm-hmm. place on. At number eight was a new entry, Tanahashi Hiroshi Hiroshi Tanahashi. Hiroshi Tanahashi. There you go. Should have backed myself. Versus Kazuchika Okada. Oh, you got that in one. Well, he's there so many times recently. Yeah, I
0: suppose you've got to get
1: used to it after a while. Uh, I have that down the 7th of April 2013. Mm -hmm. Then, in at number seven was... Rick Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Their third outing.
0: The two out of three falls match at Clash of the Champions 6.
1: That's so the second
0: it. of the known trilogy, but the third in the four matches that we covered. Yes.
1: Uh, in at number six was Kenta Kabashi, him again, and his mate Kikuchi, who can I always forget his first name? Sorry. So, yeah. Thank you. Versus Doug Furness and Dan Crawford, the Can-Am Express. Um, it's the only one with Furnace and Crawford in if you want to look through our lists and at number 5 was the 4th or the 3rd if you follow the classic trilogy of Ric Flair vs Ricky the Dragon Steamboat their match was Wrestle War 89 yeah yes. Wrestle War 89 number 4 was now I can never remember which one I always muck the date up on here
0: we go let's see if you do it right this time
1: Mitsuharu Misawa and Kenta Kobashi against Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe 3rd of December 1993. Finger guns for all. Powering First time through Logan. I'm in
0: about seven attempts there for Simon <laughs> to get that right.
1: Powering through the slow clap in at number three was Mitsuhara Misawa and Kenza Kobashi taking on Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe. This time 9th of June 1995. In at number two, a former number one for my good self uh, was Jumbo Saruta and his team of Akira Tari um, Akira and Masanobu Fushi taking on uh, Mitsuhara Misawa with Toshiyaki Kawada and Kenta Kabashi the second time out of the three in our list.
0: If you want a date for that one, it was the 2nd of April 1991.
1: He always provides that for me. Like the gentleman he is. At number one, I have Mitsuhara Misawa, He's good, this bloke, (laughs) taking on Toshiaki Kawada. 3rd of June, 1994, the first match, despite what other people say, and I'll come to this at some point. Yes. The first six-star match that Dave gave.
0: My ratings were, at number 10, I had Shawn Michaels against Razor Ramon at WrestleMania X's ladder match. Number nine was Mitsuhara Misawa teaming up with his protégé, his padawan, Jun Akiyama, to take on Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 6th of December, 1996. Best of the world, rest, real world, strongest tag league, whatever that was called, final. Number eight, I had the Clash of the Champions 2 out of 3 falls match. Simon's number seven was my number eight, (laughs) and that was Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboats. My number seven was Simon's number six, which was Kenta Kabashi and Soyoshi Kakuchi trying to wrest away the all-Asia, all all-Japan tag team titles from Doug Furness and Dan Crawford. My number six is Simon's number two, the supergeneration army of Misawa, Kawada, and Kabashi facing Saruta's army of Saruta, Tawi and Fushi on the 2nd of April 1991. My number five, was Mitsuhara Misawa and Kent Kobashi clashing for the Triple Crown Championship on the 31st of January 1998. At number 4, I have Simon's number 10. It's Bret Haas, it's Steve Austin, it's the I Quit match at WrestleMania 13 that maybe kick-started the biggest era of, hottest era of WWF's history. At number 3, I have Simon's number three as well no it's simon's number three as well yes it's masara and kabashi against the holy demon army of toshiaki kawada and akira taue on the 9th of june 1995 my number two is simon's number five it's rick flair it's ricky steamboat there's judges at ringside it's at the end of their epic series of matches trilogy quadrilogy whatever you want to call it at wrestleball 89 and at number one it's a mutual number one. It's Masawa. It's Kawada. It's the 3rd of June, 1994. And it's for the Triple Crown Championship. And it is the original six-star match. So when we put these things together, Simon, this was what we came up with. It was at number five in our mutual list, Bret Hart against Steve Austin, the I Quit match at WrestleMania 13. Number four is the six-man tag team match. Jumbo, Saruta, Akira, Tawe and Masanobu Fushi trying to fight back those young whippersnappers of Misawa, Kawada, and Kabashi. Our mutual number three was the number three on this list. That's Misawa and Kabashi against Kawada and Tauwe. Our number two was the original number one of our mutuals list, which is Ric Flair against Ricky Steamboat at WrestleWar 89 And at number one was the one that dislodged it from that position on the fifth debrief list, That's Masawa Kawada wrestling for the AJPW Triple Crown Championship on the 3rd of June, 1994. So, we watched another 10 matches after that. Nine of them New Japan, one of them not. And I'll just give you a quick rundown of what those 10 matches were. The first one that we covered was a G1 Climax match from 2013 as Katsuyori Shibata and Tomohiro Ishii decided to kick each other and chop each other and punch each other and elbow each other... until one of them could stand and the other one could not. That was on the 4th of August, not 2013. Our second match that we watched on the series was Katsuyori Shibata then taking on his old... young, new Three Musketeers counterpart that he abandoned, as it were, for seven years before returning... And there was a lot of personal issues being resolved in this match. It's Hanahashi against Katsuyori Shibata on the twenty-first of September, twenty fourteen. The next match on the list was the semi-main event, the semi-main event of Wrestle Kingdom that year. It's Shinsuke Nakamura defending the IWGP Intercontinental Championship against the debutant in this series, Kota Ibushi, on the fourth of January, twenty fifteen. The next match only took place a mere month later and it was for the vacant Never weight Championship as Tomohiro Ishii took on Hon Mania and tried to prevent it from running wild mm. as represented by Tomoaki Honma making his one and only appearance on this list. At num- And the fifth match of the series the final match between these eternal fourth generation rivals as Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shinsuke Nakamura faced off one last time although they didn't know it at the time to decide who would win the 25th annual event of the g1 climax tanahashi would win that match and go on to face kazuchika okada in our next five star match at wrestle kingdom on the 4th of january 2016 kazuchika okada was defending the iwgb heavyweight title but he was challenging for something much more than that the true ace position of new japan our next match in the series was kazuchika okada wrestling in the G1 Climax eight months later against his Chaos stablemate in a rare match involving him and Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull. Then we were followed by the semi-final, essentially, of the G1 Climax that year, as the leaders of the two top heel factions of New Japan squared off as the Bullet Club's leader, Kenny Omega, faced off against the leader of Los Ingobernables de Apon, tetsuya naito it's our only non-new japan match next on the list the ninth match of this run as we're in pwg and am blinking you'll miss about five spots <laughs> as the mount rushmore trio of adam cole and the young bucks face the unlikely trio of ricochet will Ospreay, and Matt Seidel in Pro Wrestling Guerrilla during the 2016 Battle of Los Angeles on the 3rd of September 2016. And we round this list out with maybe the most significant match, maybe the match that if this hadn't got what it got, we wouldn't be doing this series right now. It's Kazuch Okada defending the IWGP Heavyweight Championship out of Wrestle Kingdom again, and this time he's facing the leader of the Bullet Club in Kenny Omega. And it's the other match that got the six-star rating. And given where our pre- the previous six-star match was in our mutual list, it'll be interesting to see if it features at all in our mutual list or not. Ooh. Simon, <clears throat> after all that rundown, have you got any new entries in your list without giving it away immediately?
1: <laughs> Every time. That's for me to know and you to find no. out. Oh, it's to save us some time and hassle. Yes, I have do. Have you got any? New- you
0: do. As do I. Okay. So, let's start off at the bottom and make our way to the top. To paraphrase Drake. Yes. What is your, I would assume, new number 10 entry? Not necessarily a new match, just new to this position.
1: Ooh, it is...
0: All the time in the world to get his notes ready, ladies and gents, and he's just turning to them now. Well, you
1: know, they're on different pages. What can I say? man of many notes. At number 10. It is Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada, 7th of April, 2013.
0: Your previous number eight, which means that we would assume, unless you've made some unusual jiggery-pokery after the fact, that Bret Hart versus Steve Austin and Masao against Kabashi for the GHC title have been removed from your list.
1: Eliminated. Yes, yes, they are.
0: Mm. My number ten... Is a new entry both to this list and in our series so far. It's the G1 Climax de facto semi-final of 2016 as Kenny Omega and Tetsuya
1: Naito face off. Ah, okay, okay. I, I had a suspicion you'd go, for, um, you'd have that in your top ten. I almost put it in. Mm. It's, it's minor spoiler. But um, yeah, I, I I I can't say I'm uh, I'm not mad at the concept. Simon, where's your number nine? My number nine. Been here before. Been here for a long time. It's Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Two out of three falls.
0: My number nine is another New Japan match. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi defending the IWGP Heavyweight Title against Minoru Suzuki.
1: Ah.
0: 8th of October 2012. Ooh, yes. Yes, I remember. Suzuki's knee, uh, Tanahashi's... What was it that he was going after?
1: Arm. Arm slash neck.
0: Yeah. Which one will last?
1: At number eight for myself is Kenta Kobashi and his Ooh. friend, Kakuchi. Kikuchi. We've covered the first name. I'm not going to do it again. So Yoshi,
0: because you don't know know it.
1: Because I haven't written it down. Yeah. Uh, Versus Doug Furness, Dan Crawford.
0: Whatever new entries Simon has, it looks like they're going to be pretty high on this list. My number eight is also your number eight. It's Kabashi, it's Kikuchi, it's Furness, it's Crawford.
1: Oh, Mm same-sies. Friends. Wrestling friends. Oh, so much in the same position. Uh, Sorry about that, everyone. (laughs) At number seven is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat.
0: The higher we're going, the more exciting it is. Where are these two new matches going to go? My number seven is Jumbo Saruta and Akira Tawe and Masanobu Fushi facing off against Masawa Kawada and Kabashi on the 2nd of April 1991. At one point, it was my number two. And now it's gone down to number seven. Oof. Will it last the whole run? We'll have to wait and see. My
1: number six, Mitsuhara Misawa and Ooh. Kenta Kobashi taking on the Holy Demon Army of Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Taui, 12, no, 12th of March, 1995.
0: The dominance of the King's Road is starting to be eroded in Simon's list.
1: Ah, eroded. We have
0: two new letters, two new entrants in your top five. There are. My number six is Misawa vs. Kabashi, 31st of January, 2018.
1: My number five, Mitsuhara Misawa <gasps> Kabashi versus Holy Demon Army, 9th of June, 1995. My number five
0: is the highest new entry to my list. Wrestle Kingdom Eleven, it's Kazooch Krokada, it's Kenny Omega, it's the six star match. And it's my number five.
1: Oof. My number four. It's Jumbo Saruta. Oh, oh my god! It's Mitsuhara Misawa. It's Kenta Kobashi. Simon, your no. recency bias is coming to the forefront! Ha <laughs> ha! Sorry, I, I got that team in the wrong order. It's Jumbo Saruta, it's Akira Tawe, it's Masanobu Fushi against Mitsuharu Masawa, Kenta Kabashi and Toshi Kawada. 2nd of April 1991. Two of
0: Simon's top threes are going to be new entries to this list. Are you excited? Because I'm certainly making it seem like I am. <laughs> My number three. <laughs> My number four, sorry is the same as it was before. It's Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, the I Quit match from WrestleMania 13. My top-rated WWE match.
1: My number three, Hiroshi Tanahashi (laughs) versus Kazuchika Okada. Wow. Wrestle Kingdom 10, 4th of Jan
0: 2016. Wow, right up there. My number three... Is Misawa and Kabashi against Kawada and Tawe. 9th of June, tw- 1995. And it's uh, Simon's now number five. What was our mutual number three is now my three and Simon's five. Simon. Actually, I'll just reel off my top two now. Because you're the one that's actually got something interesting to say. Because my number two is what it was before. Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboats at WrestleWar89. And my number one is what it was before. Misawa against Kawada. Third of June, nineteen ninety four. Yes, yeah. Simon. Now, what? You can. How do you want to announce this? Because I think what people are interested in is what's your number one. I guess. I guess if if you're number two, I, I'll leave it to you. Basically, I think it's best if you announce it how you see fit. Okay.
1: The new entrant on the list is Kenny Omega. Versus Kazuchika Okada, Wrestle Kingdom Eleven. It is in position two.
0: Ooh, Simon is going with a double six starer in his top two. Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega, Simon's number two.
1: And just for the sake of confirmation, still at number one, uh, Mitsuharu yeah. Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada. 3rd, June 1994.
0: Yeah, we just needed confirmation because, you know, you could have just changed your mind and gone with the Fantastics against the Sheep Herders. I don't know.
1: <laughs> could have gone with the UWF match, swerved you, or Joe. So,
0: yes, I'm just trying to look through now and see where our mutuals are in this top 10 list. Uh, still, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat from Wrestle... Uh, n- is it? No, it's not because I've knocked that off my list uh the um two out of three falls rick flair ricky steamboat match that is not on my list anymore mm. so Kabashi kikuchi against furnace and Crawford is still in our list it's our mutual number eight yep the six-man tag uh between saruta gun and the super generation army on the 2nd of april 91 is still on our list it's my number seven your number four yep Rick Flair vs. Ricky Steamboat at Wrestle War 89 is still on our list. Your number 7, my number 2. Uh, Masawa Kabashi Kawada, uh, Kawada Tawe on the 9th of June 95 is still on our list. It's now your number 5 and my number 3. And Masawa Kawada, obviously, still our mutual number 1s. And Okada Omega is now in our mutual top 5s as well. It's in is your number two, my number five. So we have a grand total of one, two, three, four, five, six mutual ones. That does suggest that Bret Hart versus Steve Austin will have to be eliminated from our overall list because it is no longer in your top 10. Correct. So I'm sorry, guys. We did put it in there to add a bit more variety, but looks like another Japanese match is going to have to go in there. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, I'm just going to so, go ahead and say it. I think... It's got to be Okada Omega, But Where has, does it go be. in the list? Oof. Is the question. Okay. So, if we look at the other four that are in our list still... Well, actually, there's a... So, the other mutual one that we both have that's not in the list is... To be fair, is the bottom of our... For both our mutual ones, it's at the bottom. Which is Kabashi, Kakuchi against Furnace and Crawford's.
1: Yeah.
0: So, that got just knocked out. And even though... Austin Brett is also out. That goes to number f- that. So that doesn't go in either. Okay. So we're looking at where does this go then in this list? So Saruta. So we do some basic maths here, I guess. We could we could see where it goes. He
1: loves
0: numbers. Uh, Saruta. So the six man tag. My seven. Your four. So if we were. So if we go by that, that's a combination of um eleven.
1: Ah, you're doing it pointless style. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the lowest number would theoretically go highest. Yeah. Uh, Masawa Kabashi Kawada Tawei is my third, your fifth, so that goes on eight.
1: Yep.
0: Flare Steamboat is two and Seven. seven, so that's nine, but it did stay above it through tradition, really. Masawa took Kawada's on two, and Omega versus Okada comes in at seven points overall. So that would suggest we put it at number two.
1: I'm happy with that. So we two, we so. do
0: seem to be in a basic agreement with Dave Meltzer. <laughs> We're just a pair of Meltzer marks, Simon. That's what we are. I know what I like. All right. <laughs> only match from the 21st century as well to be in our mutual five. Woo! So to recap it all then, ladies and gents... Simon,
1: ten to one. What are your what's your list now after ninety matches? All right, very quick fire. Number ten, Tanahashi versus Okada, seventh of April, two thousand and thirteen. Number nine, Ric Flair versus Ricky Dragon and Steamboat, two out of three falls. Number eight, Akabashi Kikuchi versus Kanam Express. Number seven, Flair Steamboat with the judges wrestle War eighty nine. Yes. Superb. Number six, Misawa and Kabashi versus the Holy Demon Army, 12th of March, 1995. Number five is... Yeah, the same they're, match. The <laughs> same match, but two, But in June, I've got 9th of June, 1995. I think one of them was 93 and I think I've written it yes. down wrong. Sorry. Yes,
0: it's the one you get wrong every week. You managed to get it wrong again, Simon. Brilliant. Well done. Well done.
1: At number four, you, you, I've the got... The streak continues. At number four, I've got Jumbo, Fushi and Tawe taking on Misawa, Kawada and Kabashi. 2nd of April 1991. At number three, I've got Tanahashi taking on Okada, Wrestle Kingdom 10. At number two, I go one higher to Wrestle Kingdom 11 and it's Omega versus Okada. At number one is Misawa, Kawada 3rd June 1994.
0: My top 10. At 10, it's Kenny Omega against Tetsuya Naito in the 2016 G1 Climax Block Final for B Block. At number 9, it's Hiroshi Tanahashi against Minoru Suzuki on the 8th of October 2012. number 8, it's Kabashi and Kikuchi against Furnace and Crawford on the 25th of May 1992. At number 7, it's Jumbo's Army against the Super Generation Army on the 2nd of April 1991. Number six, it's Masawa against Kabashi for the Triple Crown on the 31st of January, 1998. Number five is Simon's number two, our newest entry into the Definitive Five, Kazuchko Kada against Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 11. My number four is Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, the only WWE match in either of our lists at WrestleMania 13 under submission rules. My number three is Misawa and Kabashi facing off against Kawada and Taue for the All Japan World Tag Team titles on the 9th of June, 1995. My number two is Ric Flair against Ricky Steamboat for Steamboat's NWA World Heavyweight title at WrestleWar 89. And my number one is still Mitsuhara Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada on the 3rd of June, 1994. And our mutual revised list. At number five now, the next one to be threatened to be knocked off its perch is... Jumbo Saruta, Akira Tawe, Masanobu Fushi against Mitsuhara Misawa, Toshiaki Kawada and Kent Kabashi on the 2nd of April 1991. Number four is Misawa and Kabashi taking on Kawada and Tauai for the World Tag Team Titles of All Japan on the 9th of June ninety-five. Number three is our only 80s entrant as Ric Flair faces Ricky Steamboat at Wrestle War 89 to end that feud once and for all. At number two is our only match from not only the 2010s, but the 2000s in general at this point. Our most recent entry, Kazuchika Okada against Kenny Omega, the six-star match as it came to be known at Wrestle Kingdom 11. And our number one remains, yet again, Mitsuhawa against Kawara. My voice is almost going, (laughs) but it's the 3rd of June, 1994. Will it be topped? The six-star match has happened. But there could just be a seven-star match waiting in the wings.
1: Oh, bit of eyebrows.
0: edit from you, maybe. I find it creepy. But anyway, now that we've done our <sighs> list, so it's on to the next step. Would you like to talk about our alternative five-star, our alternative to alternative five-star, briefly, or would you like to do some rest, uh, some fan correspondence?
1: Ooh, shall we? Do the alternate first, if that's okay.
0: Okay. So, one of the things that we do with these alternate five-star matches is we try to pick a match from around the same period of those ten matches. And unfortunately, by picking from 2013, mid-2013, through to the start of 2017, the end of 2016, we were in a rude period of health for one particular promotion within a promotion and that led to this disagreement so this was around the time period that not only is new japan starting to make a name for itself with these great matches but a little promotion that's supposed to be just for developing talent instead became maybe the hottest brand in north american wrestling in years maybe decades it was nxt simon Before we go into our alternative five-star, what was your alternative alternative five-star match that we will talk briefly about now,
1: and I will pitch an idea to you right afterwards? Uh, Okay, so our alternative alternative, the one I uh, went to bat for, uh, a match very close... Yes, listeners, don't be surprised, I got my way again. (laughs) A match very close to my heart uh, was Sami Zayn taking on Shinsuke Nakamura at TakeOver Dallas. So many reasons for it um it's a great pass the torch it's a great battle between two like active competitors the way they just the styles mesh and there's just a great energy throughout main reason well not the main reason one of the big reasons it resonates so me is because i was in the crowd i i drank that in live and it's just it is the match i have it's the best match I've ever seen in the flesh. Hands down.
0: So what was your awareness of Shinsuke Nakamura at that point? Did you even know what he looked like at this point? I knew
1: what he looked like. I'd seen like little bits. Um, obviously, I've seen like clips of his Styles uh, Wrestle Kingdom match. Um, but I was intrigued. Like, there, was a, there was still a great unknown, because this was before we'd started mm. this project, before I'd started to broaden my horizons. Um, I think we might have started, let me tell you something at this point. Yeah, but I'm in this specific yeah. yeah this, this is the one that project. opened up the doors a lot more. Yeah. Um, I, I knew I was going get, to uh, get to see a man get kicked in the head a lot. Mm. I was not disappointed.
0: <laughs> so, I think the thing I think what well, I, I don't necessarily go back and watch the match a lot, but what I do love to watch is, is Shinsuke Nakamura's entrance. And you can tell that Sammy Zane's enjoying watching it as well, yeah. when they cut to him in the ring with a a, I don't know what a goofy grin's the right way to do it, but he's definitely—he's uh, enjoying the moment of watching Shinsuke Nakamura walk down the ring towards him.
1: Well, this is Sammy's farewell as well. Like he, yeah, it's—it's it's going into this match. Everyone knows this is. His I think there's a look on his face son. of like I
0: can't believe this
1: is happening. Yeah.
0: But um, also, what's fun about it as well now is that it's Shinsuke Nakamura, and he's only able to be nothing more than Shinsuke Nakamura. He can't possibly have been WWE or even nxt at this point. Yeah. So this is pure, uncut Nakamura we're getting here. <laughs> you
1: know? Lorca giving us a window into his personal life there.
0: And it's also the debut of maybe the coolest entrance music in wrestling to this day. Yeah. We, we were like were you thinking god damn this music sounds cool or was that even and wow that is one awesome entrance for a guy who's just really walking down a <laughs> walking down oh, a yeah, he had the presence some odd hand movements yeah
1: from <laughs> from day one he, like from jump street he just had the presence i i don't obviously i didn't realize how big the music was gonna get but yeah we loved it we just loved it sometimes with themes and that people coming well, out you're a bit now the theme gets a bit
0: overwhelmed as well by the well, I'm actually not that annoyed by that. I'm not annoyed by that like I am many other things that the wrestling fans The theme doesn't really get
1: do. the, in its latest carnation where they've added words as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that was specifically because he, he turned heel and they yeah. didn't want the heel the, the fans to cheer and sing along to a heels entrance theme as I think much. I they
1: took care of that with the bookies.
0: So, I, yeah, that, didn't, that helps as well. Um But I don't really want to talk too much about this match because I want to reserve it. I've had this idea that after this is all done, Si, I would suggest that maybe we have a little bit of a fun side project of talking about other matches that we just want to talk about. And I would suggest maybe making this the first one of that series sometime in 2020 or 2021 or whenever it is, we can stand to look and talk to each other again after this is all (laughs) said and done at the end of the year. Uh, so I don't really want to go much further into it. Are you all right with that?
1: I'm perfectly fine with that, yeah. No, Um, I, well, I could wax lyrical about that for, for a long time, but I'll...
0: Just one last question. When you were all making your way out of the arena, were there many men trying to replicate Shinsuke Nakamura's grabbing the rope, flinging the arm back pose, and doing their shoulders and backs in as a result?
1: Um. So one of our group, for the rest <laughs> of the trip... <laughs> For some unknown reason, because I don't think he really even did this during the entrance. No, he didn't do this during the entrance. Would just do like um, the pose and then like forward rolls and such throughout <laughs> the rest of the trip. Um, I love him, but I-, I could never understand that that logic. Mm-hmm. But it-, it was just something to watch.
0: That was such a cool bit when Shinsuke walks into the ring and he's got a look over. He's got kind of got his hand over his mouth like. I think I've forgotten something. Oh, yes. And then he does that pose and just you hear a whole bunch of wrestling nerds basically orgasming in their
1: seats at that moment. Uh, uh, I sort of wish, considering what had happened with Samoa Joe, um, Hmm. which you can't plan for, I wish they'd put that on last.
0: Yeah. So NXT was something pretty special around this time and a match that occurred about six months before that or maybe earlier, I'm not sure.
1: Yes, it was, it it was, yeah, was around, it
0: was, it was less than a year before. Yeah, it was pre-SummerSlam. Yeah, that yeah. Year. So, so yeah, it would be about seven or eight months before yeah. this happened, is the one that we're covering. And the reason that we ultimately went for it was, you know, post-Joshi, Dave Meltzer hasn't given any women's matches five stars yet. Uh, this one he gave four and a half stars to. He gave the match involving the two people that came out to celebrate this afterwards, four and three-quarter stars, Uh, but we are going to go for it as our alternative five star because I think it's probably the most, again, I know I keep saying significant and everything, but I think this is a very important match in I I think if this match doesn't happen and is not received the way it's received, I don't know that you get Becky Lynch uh, against Ronda Rousey against Charlotte Flair at the main event of WrestleMania 35.
1: This is the sort of the first brick in the getting women's wrestling into the mainstream. It's not the first brick, but it's the first
0: big brick. I would say The divas block. revolution was already happening at this point. Stephanie McMahon had opened those doors. Oh, you mean when Stephanie from- McMahon invented yeah. women's wrestling trademark, Stephanie McMahon. Yes. Um, I don't want to... That's a bit of a laugh. I think sometimes Stephanie McMahon has too much stick, and I don't want to go on about that for now. So let's just talk about the match and the surrounding storyline itself, which is Sasha Banks against Bayley, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn for Sasha Banks NXT Women's Championship. And this is just one of the best stories and character stories that WWE has genuinely ever done. I put it up there with Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. The Mega Powers explode. Hogan and Andre, Austin and Bret Hart, uh, Austin McMahon, uh, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho. Like this is amongst the best stuff WWE's ever done from just this, a storytelling perspective and not putting a, a foot wrong over pretty much a two-year period, I think, or so.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, like Bailey was just slowly, slowly. Rising, but never quite getting to the top within NXT. Mm. Um, The Four Horsewomen had like become the public had become aware, the wrestling public, I should say, had become aware of them at this point. Well, had
0: they become aware of them as the Four Horsewomen? Because after the click, this is the most famous non-faction faction faction in wrestling history, maybe. Yeah, because they never were a group on screen, like. Becky and Sa- uh, Sasha Banks joined forces for a while on screen, and maybe Charlotte was in a grouping with them at some point. Charlotte too. and
1: Sasha teamed up for a while. Yeah,
0: yeah. But there ne- there's never, ever been a moment when all four women have been on the same side together, uh, or as like, got... Mute- like, there's, no- there's never been four horsewomen merchandise, to the best of my knowledge. No. Um, so what we essentially get at the end of this match is the uh, version of the curtain call, almost. Mm in a way and, and I'll have more to say about that but I think Bailey is always Bailey's someone that I've always wanted us to do a whole episode talking about because she's one of the most fascinating examples of what wrestling hasn't been in North America and could be and nearly gets there but nearly but just about didn't and I think you can ultimately lay the blame down on one man's feet <laughs> Because I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I don't mean to go on about it, but there's so much significance in the fact that how Bailey is presented on screen is not specifically to appeal to horny men. Yeah. Like, her attractiveness is not maximized in how she's presented. Yeah she's presented to appeal to men but in a sort of, the way I always describe it is it's kind of like the brony culture or the adventure time thing like the colorfulness. Mm. there's a bit of irony to it there's a bit of arrested man-child thing there's a bit of, not gender queerness because that's just a whole academic thing that I don't even want to go into but there's something about it insofar as a men wearing, I think there's significance to men wearing merchandise of a woman yeah. but that is again something that we didn't see before what you'd see was them wearing t-shirts with like Trish Stratus in a bikini or something but again it's not that it's the I'm a hugger element to it a non-sexual thing yeah you know that there isn't though you can make yeah. that look and be as dirty as you want <laughs> but but you get where I'm coming from Bailey. with a with the like I said she, her whole thing was kind of like she's like a cool big sister yeah or I, something like yeah. that
1: I mean I didn't really read into the sexual element of Bailey at all like, the way i've just perceived bailey is someone who just dresses to go out and wrestle whereas but that's a thing like no one no female wrestlers just do that now well not back then anyway. not back then no. even sasha banks
0: as great as as great an athlete as she is there is still a sort of an alluring sexiness which i think actually is meant to appeal to women as much as it is men in the same way as like beyonce's look is attractive but it's something that like Draws females in as much as it does men, as it's like a sign of empowerment and self confidence. Mm. Especially because the criticism. key of this story, the idea of self confidence and and Bailey actually lacking that in many ways, which is something that she put, she projects weakness in a way that wrestlers are never allowed to.
1: Yeah,
0: and again, that Vincent Mann never really gets when it co- when he goes up, you know, when she goes up to the main roster.
1: That as well in the preamble to this, a little bit of luck that Bailey had a hand injury specifically, considering that Sasha's uh, move, the bank statement works on the hand and arm as well as the neck and b- and back. It does. Yes. Um, but I think it's also as much, uh,
0: because I think one of the reasons you do that is a hand injury is actually weirdly relatable to audiences. Yeah. Like, you don't really know what a torn ACL feels like unless you're in a, on a football field necessarily, or it doesn't mean it's not an everyday injury you can encounter. Yeah, but I think we've all had like a door slammed accidentally against our hand at some point, yeah. or something we've like that. We've all had to not uh, use a
1: hand for a couple of days or something. That's
0: why. That's why, uh, like Pete Dunn's work on joint manipulation, sort of rings a like gets a reaction from audiences or um, uh, to give another example outside of the world of uh, wrestling. What's the one moment in the jackass movies that maybe h- people uh. freak out about the most? It's the paper cuts because it's something that you can equate. You can understand it. So that's why I love that going after the hand. Cause again, uh. it's that whole thing about baby's relatability. She's suffering a pain that we have all probably suffered or have a better idea of understanding compared to someone attacking your rotator cuff or, or, you know, or or targeting your ankle. Well, maybe your ankle's a bit more relatable as well, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I I get where you're coming from there. I also, as well, there's like... Obviously, Bailey comes down to the ring wearing the polka dot headband um, in semblance of NXT's granddad uh, and NXT's... reference of,
0: I think you meant to say, not in semblance of. Sorry,
1: in in reference to, obviously, the recently departed Dusty Rhodes. Um... And it's, I don't know. I, I, to me, I, at the time, I just when I first watched the match, I just read into it a little bit of. In, in she's doing this for him, in that like, tribute to him. That this this, mm. this means that this is destiny more than it already is. If you see what I mean, yeah. it just it's a tragic circumstance which they've they've used well she was just wearing it in tribute but it added it some something extra to it I, maybe i'm just reading between the lines or...
0: no i think it's another way of like it's a good tribute and it's notable they do it with the face and not the heel whereas yeah. like sometimes when a wrestler dies you'll see tributes from every wrestler heel or face mm-hmm. um like sasha's tribute to dusty Rhodes is to be this fantastic character that he probably helped mold and create from her and that's the that's the thing that's the you know how I was saying, like with with um, Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Bret Hart storyline, that Austin never changes; he's true to himself. Yeah, I think that's essentially what what's brilliant about Bailey's character is that, like I said, she has self doubt, but she never stops being herself. Yeah, she's true to herself. Whereas Sasha Banks will be duplicitous and turn on someone, and Becky Lynch was duplicitous and turned on uh, Bailey at some point, and Charlotte Flair was. Heal and, and face at various points as yeah. well, and they always kept getting the upper hand on Bailey because, you know, it's that that no- notion of nice guys finish last, which is probably a philosophy that, again, Vince McMahon probably holds. Yeah. And because this is a storyline that Vince McMahon doesn't control, we're <laughs> able to tell the story of someone who's true to themselves, and that they themselves are ultimately pure of heart in a way. It, it's a, it's a story that never gets told in WWE in particular. Yeah.
1: What? You know? What struck me, and I don't want to start sounding like a big compl- a complaining old man, but what struck me about watching this match, possibly for the reasons you've just listed, is I think this is the best we see these two characters,
0: yeah, ever. Because that like they've reached the peak of both those characters. Sasha Banks has this reinvention, this like, I mean, she's got such a fantastic look. She looks like she could be a pop star, like a like a. Hmm she wouldn't look out of place at the MTV VMAs or something like that. You know, Uh, she comes out with the, with the not stretch limo, but like a big SUV SUV and she's got bodyguards. right. And it just looks right that she would be walking down a street in New York city or something. And she would have four huge bouncers with her. Yeah, And she wears like the Kanye West shades and she's got the, bright, colourful hair and you know, she looks great. And like I said, it's it's alluring, but it's also athletic and powerful. And it can appeal to I like I wouldn't doubt for a second, like it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that there are women and and young girls that love Sasha Banks's look even more than like they love Bailey. Like there's something about Sasha Banks that's like that confidence and that power that she projects. And that's the one thing I want to point out as well, because Sasha Banks is a tiny tiny woman. that's why it always freaks me out. Cause I always say, I've said this probably on this before and I've said it to plenty of people. What worries me about her is she takes Mick Foley level bumps without having a Mick Foley air, uh, surface level area coverage. to, to absorb all of the punishment yeah. that she takes. Um, but even though she is small and she's smaller than Bailey, Bailey's maybe through two or three inches taller than her. Um, just like more muscular than her. Yeah. Um, Sasha Banks does dominate and bullies and it's utterly believable. You know, it's, it's almost, it's like how Masanobu Fushi is able to be (laughs) relatably vicious or, or someone like Pete Dunne or, um, you know, a smaller wrestler can still look Chris Benoit was, you know, we don't want to bring up someone like that necessarily. Daniel Bryan's heel
1: work. Yeah. yeah, A a vicious, a vicious knobhead.
0: Yeah, my favourite Daniel Bryan in-ring heel work in WWE, and this could be one we could actually do for the, like, just talking about matches, random matches, is the uh, Sheamus match that follows the uh, seven-second, nine-seconds match they had uh, at the WrestleMania. They had a two-out-of-three-falls match, I think, at the next show, and Daniel Bryan's just amazing in that match. Oh,
1: God, it's beautiful.
0: Um and I don't doubt that Sasha probably studied stuff like that in for yeah. this match. You know, she's relentless in her attacks, and she just has that sense of like she's affronted that Bailey thinks she can take her on. And so then when she will get surprised in the match, and, and there is that again, there is that sense of she is maybe the superior wrestler out of them, but this is the one time Bailey's like, ba- well, Bailey's always been the inferior, and now she's yeah. working her way up. You know. She was like a she was basically a jobber when she started out a few like a couple of years ago when the character debuted and she's just basically this fangirl who's just excited to be there. Which again, is such a great progression of the character because it makes you makes you makes us as fans feel like you know what if I was in the ring with you know well you know Mickey James and or, or someone like that or uh, like I think she goes crazy when she's in the ring with like um, AJ I don't know someone. It might have been someone. Yeah, it might have been AJ. Someone who made like one. Someone from the main roster came down and just beat her pretty easily. And and the it was like a yeah, but like how how far can you go with that kind of character? But yeah. because they re- they they evolved it and she got better and she improved. But she trade state while staying true to herself. She just got a bit more of an edge. She was you know she there's moments where she's doing big moves on Sasha and she's not she's fighting back and she's not going to be bullied anymore yeah. which is what she
1: was in the previous
0: months and years you
1: know It's a great moment uh, a microcosm for that when uh, Sasha's got a down in the corner and she's just like absolutely trash talking her and Bailey's just had enough mm. um, and this is one thing they sort of took away from on the main roster they try they, they they sort of made her too child friendly you know what I mean like, um so there was a, the famous moment in the Alexa Bliss feud where she just wouldn't use the kendo stick on Alexa Bliss. Yeah. yeah. Like, this Bailey doesn't have could've... that problem.
0: Yeah, you could have done that storyline eventually of her, like, like being too nice or self-doubt, but they didn't give it a payoff. Ultimately, Alexa Bliss won and, and she never got her comeuppance. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people got very angry at that and thought that the Bailey character was dead at that point. And she wasn't dead, but she was just... Like I had that, what like, I had that sense, and I think I was saying it at the time. If they did it right, Bailey can be the babyface that they always thought John Cena was going to be. And Bailey and Sasha Banks was the match that I thought this. If you do this right, if you basically retell this story in the in the main roster, this could be a female match that could main event WrestleMania.
1: Yeah,
0: I asked, it ultimately I, wasn't those two, but you know, you never know I down the asked line. Maybe they could A slight
1: variant of that question. Uh, a couple of days after. Uh, the day after WrestleMania 32, I asked Jim Ross that exact question. Could oh, okay. we win the main event, a pay-per-view? Uh, and I cited the Sasha Bailey thing. I get the feeling he'd been asked it already, because yeah. <laughs> I was quite back in the queue. Um, but he, he, you know, he answered very politely. He said, quite possibly, and now look where we are.
0: Mm. Well, that's the funny thing, actually, when they when they come out and celebrate later on and Becky and Charlotte are there. I remember at that moment thinking, wow, Becky is Becky going to be the nearly man of this group? Is she going to be the Ringo? Because she well, you know, she hadn't won the women's title in NXT whilst the other three had, yeah. you been know, very when close she in a
1: very good effort with Sasha.
0: Yeah, when she joined the, the roster, it was obvious that Charlotte was seen as the top star out of the three of them, and Becky was put in the group with her and Paige, and then I remember when Paige broke the group up, uh, before she said something about Charlotte's dead brother and you forgot all about whatever else they were talking about, she did mention, what have you even been doing here, Becky? Yeah. Like, the only time it felt like Becky was really getting a chance to be as a star in her own right was when she was made the first SmackDown women's champion.
1: When all the other three again, were elsewhere though. Yeah.
0: But then again, then again she lost to Alexa Bliss, who was also put ahead of Sasha Banks and other than Charlotte Flair, Alexa Bliss was always kind of presented as if not the superior, the one that would win out of five yeah. to win against the others. Like she won the first Elimination Chamber match against Sasha and Bailey and you know The, cle- the cleverer was, one, the one with the nouse. Tactical more but most yeah, tactical nouse. And also, just you would assume the one that projected maybe more of a sexual image in the vein that Vince McMahon understands. Yes, she's a blonde. You know, she. But she's also fantastic. At, like we've always said, like she's got some of the best facial expressions. Were yeah, and her, her promos fashion. are good. She's been able to beat the what chance. Yeah, so you know, you you earn top marks. So that sort of shows where Vince McMahon's priorities. But you can tell that Sasha. Either actively dislikes Alexa Bliss, or doesn't like, and I think she would say one of the reasons that Alexa doesn't deserve to be ahead of her is that she couldn't have this match, yeah, and she couldn't, and it is Banks, and Banks is like the one that, like, in a traditional way that the heel leads the match, as was always the case. You feel like Sasha is leading the match in, in, like, she dictates the pace, she does the heel, she gets the sympathy for Sasha Banks, she does all these cool, in, in uh, inventive bit like the stomping of the hand when she's in the cross like that's my favorite moment in the whole match when because the crowd just doesn't expect it and then when it comes they understand it's like it's, it's nasty in and of itself but it's also that sense of oh shit
1: and she's got a hurt hand yeah. you know it's that it ooh, wh- like that makes yeah. it sound a great sound i hear i love from rest hearing from resting crowds of just them going being like going oh hang on that's too too far That's yeah. when you get them
0: and one of the things they do well in this that, that you often see at WrestleMania matches is they supersize some of their moves, but they make it mean something, really. A lot yeah. of the time, they'll do that in a WrestleMania match. They'll do a bigger move than usual, or they'll come off the top rope and do something that you never see them do during the rest of the year. But it doesn't necessarily have the impact of, say, Sasha's somersault plancher to the outside on Bailey. Yeah. Or when she does, like, she does her traditional knees to the stomach when they're laid on the second rope, she and this one, to the top, when right. Bailey stops it, instead she's like, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson now, and puts her up on the top and does it instead. And, of course, what leads into the finish. First of all, Bailey does the surprise Bailey's belly, which was such a brilliant spot, where it just came out of nowhere, and you thought, is that the finish? Yeah. And then when it wasn't, it was like the crowd were fantastic. Like, the crowd were, you always are on a, on a thin wedge with a with a uh, nxt crowds and in the first few minutes it's like let's do a chant i'm thinking of a chant let's go bailey let's go sasha and all that sort of stuff they're, they were saying something about sasha's something and sasha's ratchet like,
1: no she's not oh, okay. it's dueling chants because yeah. um that was the uh the sasha the go-to sasha insult because she was ratchet and then the, the sasha supporters would go back no she's not
0: yeah, but you don't really. I never like that fifty-fifty thing unless it's a face versus a face. Really, for the most part, and and by the end of it, that crowd is a hundred percent behind Sa- uh, Bailey. Yeah. You know, so again, it's Sasha doing her job and and Bailey doing their her job, and then when we get the payoff of the huge move, which is the reverse hurricane rana, but a far more safe version of it. Even though Sasha does come dangerously close to landing on her head. <laughs> But that it comes from nowhere. You don't
1: see it yeah. being built up necessarily, uh, it's elaborate. Yeah. Now, I have written at the end of our notes on this that the finish just felt a little bit rushed. Now, obviously, you've just said you don't see the finish, and it sort of comes out of nowhere. You're sort of saying, if you don't mind me inferring from your tone, that that was like a good thing, a surprising thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I don't know. I don't it see, just... You don't have to build it. I don't think it's like, it's not like an all Japan match where. Why not? You know, Bailey. Why to, isn't Bayley, it all Bayley Kings Road? Right? Bailey doesn't need to throw forearms and big move after big move for three minutes on Sasha. It's not that kind of match. And again, yeah. because you've got to play into the fact that Bailey is maybe not on Sasha's level quite. She needs to hit her quick. You know, yeah. she gets that baby, the first Bailey to Bailey out of nowhere. Lift, you know, pulling her off from the ropes. Ba- Sasha surprising her by landing on her feet, and Bailey surprising her seeing that opening and hitting the Bailey to belly. Yeah. Um, and earlier on as well, it is it is built up because earlier on in the match she goes for the traditional top rope hurricane runner, which looked a bit awkward. There was no real sense that Bailey was uh, like Sasha was blocking it necessarily. As Bailey just kind of jumped and and, uh, <laughs> sat him and was um, like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Which was again quite a scary bump as well. She was close to landing on her head that time as well. Um, but like I said, so instead they do an even bi- the bigger version of the Top Rope Frankensteiner, which is the Top Rope Reverse Frankensteiner, which of course, harking all the way back to 20 years earlier, the El Samurai Koji Kanemoto match, which I think you gave five stars to, uh, if I'm not I mistaken.
1: Did, yes, because you were very shocked.
0: Simon, the junior heavyweight race, wrestler hater. Um, and, and on another front, are you finally going to give a match with women five stars?
1: Now this is unusual compared to a lot of other matches we've watched in this list because obviously I've seen this before quite a few times. So um, I'm going to have to go back into my mental archives because I try and view it with fresh eyes if you see what I mean. I think at the time when I first saw it, I think I would have gone along with that uh, mentality. I think I saw this live uh, as it went Mm. out. Um, So yes, I'm going to go with what uh, me... How long ago was it? Now five, four, nearly four, four and a bit years ago would have done. Mm. And I'd say I'm going to say it is five stars. This
0: is basically everything that I want North American wrestling to be. You know, uh, a great in a dark arena in Brooklyn. (laughs) A long-term storyline, a rabid crowd, an ideology that I don't find reprehensible. You know, actually some positivity without having to brag about it so much. And just, uh, uh, I wouldn't be ashamed to show. Like, if I was, if I was in a relationship and uh, a woman who had maybe certain um, biases about wrestling, I would show them. I'd try to find a way to show them the baby storyline from start to finish and end with this.
1: Yeah, Ooh.
0: I think that could get them into it.
1: Yeah, I uh, I would take it a little bit further purely because, yeah. Purely because. Purely for the Izzy. No, no, no. (laughs) Although the Izzy bit is great, (laughs) the pre-match video package for their Iron Woman match is one of the best video packages ever produced Mm. in wrestling, and I will fight anyone who disagrees.
0: (laughs) Well, then we've uh, talked a lot about that. Again, this is a match I wouldn't mind going back and doing a full episode about on our on our future series, whatever we end up calling that. But anyway, we've got only one thing left to do at this point, isn't it, Simon? And that's answer any listener mail we might have had.
1: A question or two might have floated out. Question, tell me what you think about me. <laughs>
0: no, don't tell me what you think
1: about me, Simon. I don't want to know. I, you caught me cold, though. I was not expecting that. Oh, mm. Lord. Okay, so the question comes... It it clearly comes from it's 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 an obvious uh, question when you think about what the ten matches we've just reviewed. Mm -hmm. Nine of them are from New Japan, obviously as we know. Um, So, what did so off the back of this, and we culminate on match ninety with the six star match, and you've already sort of alluded to this. So you've sort of maybe Mm. have already answered the question in part. New Japan is now in a place in a whole new place. It's going outside of Japan. It's going into America. It's just recently held an event in London. Mm. How did New Japan do this? Is the question, basically. How did New Japan punch through to the next level? Was it just that match? Was it... What was it? Was it having the right. That 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 match
0: was obviously a factor. I think that match must have been a factor because so many people talk about it. Like, people who aren't into wrestling are aware of the six star rating. You know, if you have a friend that's into wrestling, there's a decent chance they're aware of the notion of six star matches and and Mm. so on and so forth. My friends certainly are. Mm. Um, I think it's just a combination of things. The New Japan product is the best product in the world right now. They tell the best stories, the simplest stories. They have the best matches. They have a fantastic presentation. Their filming style is, frankly, better than the WWE's. Not necessarily their production values, but they're just their simplistic how to film a wrestling match and make these guys look good in a wrestling match. It's better than anyone else. Mm um and it's a shrinking internet world they've obviously made themselves more about like we were able to watch that wrestle kingdom match with english commentary and it didn't have to have matt striker in it either so
1: that made it a lot better <laughs> better than no comment well actually no commentary Matt Stryker <laughs> in your eyes um i think part of it i don't want to underplay new japan here but i think part of it is having some names from new japan go to WWE did help in the sense of, oh, they've come from there. Well, yeah. what's over there? Let's have a look at that.
0: Well, it's but... funny, actually, when you look at uh, footage for around time, when guys like AJ Styles and uh, I think Shinsuke Nakamura debuted um, and Finn Balor, that they would actually name check new Japan. Yeah. Or they would say, or at the very least, I know that JBL said when AJ Styles made his uh, way to the ring, Former IWGP heavyweight champion, same as Brock Lesnar. Now, by saying IWGP, you're not saying New Japan. But you know what I mean? It's yeah. like. And of course, CM Punk, famously, when he did his pipe bomb, said, maybe I'll go to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah. So already at that point, it was seen as the alternative. And there would have been some residual knowledge from old school WCW fans that remember their relationship with the New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, True. guys, specifically the great Muta, who was, you know, could have been. A lot of people have argued a big babyface star in New J- in WCW. If they'd have wanted him to be, yeah, but they never pulled the trigger, and he went back to New Japan in in '91 after having a fantastic uh, y- year or so run in, in WCW. Was
1: that his excursion? So, that been one hell yeah, that was an excurs-
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty amazing excursion. I think he'd had like one before then, but this was like his longest one, ah. and he would have more subsequent to that. You know,
1: that that, is, that is the mo- that is the example of how to have an excursion.
0: Jesus. Yeah, that is the best probably foreign excursion anyone's ever had. And it led to the creation of a character that he brought back to New Japan with the great Musa. I guess another great example of an excursion is Tetsuya Naito's trips to Mexico where he comes up with the the, the eye thing and... (laughs) um, just turning racism back on them and and then later forming Los Ingobernables de Apon and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um
1: but but yeah, it's, just teenage, a, it's,
0: just, it's it's a shrinking world. The 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 Six Star match did bring it to people's attention. The use of North American talent both known and un, not necessarily known yet. The success of AJ Styles, Finn Balor, Shinsuke Nakamura in the WWE. The rise of guys like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. And the Bullet Club. The Bullet Club was a huge factor in that as well. The Bullet Club merchandise essentially led the Young Bucks to becoming the, the merch kings and from that the sense that guys don't need the WWE anymore to make their own to make themselves financially stable.
1: They've built their own creative uh, freedom, essentially.
0: Yeah. 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 Well yeah, again, like there's so many ones I've been saying, but no six star match, no bullet club, no AEW. Yeah. You
1: know? Oh well yeah. Well it's if you follow the financial side, no, no six star match, no bullet club, no big merch deals, no people with the, the well, money in their pockets to go. I don't have to go to um, Connecticut. To, like, yeah. you know, be well, well, I can. No, be the, I can they're... build my own thing.
0: Yeah, and there's also, you know, CMLL's doing great stuff in Mexico at the time, Progress and all the stuff in the UK. There was just this sense of a world of wrestling outside of the WWE, and it's so much easier for people to get their hands on rather than me, when I was young, having to, like, read magazines and get one or two videos and just go through them, you know, like a Best of Kijimuto 2 tape from 2001, the Super J Cup 94, and a few ring- whatever Ring of Honor shows I could get through eBay and elsewhere, you know? Yeah. it's a lot easier and that's not me moaning that's just that's just me saying what it was for me if you want to learn more about that why don't you buy confessions of a smart wrestling fan but you
1: know it's just it's the world allows new japan to be more viable you know yeah no true the, the world is shrinking that is a, that streaming is a massive factor yeah yeah it's changed not just wrestling it's changed entertainment yeah and new japan I know what they're doing they
0: put up a free match on their youtube channel every week from their archives yeah. you know
1: Give them little tidbits. WWE do full matches as well. They, they know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. But you've got Twitter and everything else. Yeah. For good and ill. Mostly ill, but occasionally
1: good. Good things do come out of the internet sometimes.
0: <laughs> so, that has been another debrief. Is there anything left we have to cover? I think we've covered think all we've our bases. everything there. All right. Simon, if people want to get in touch with you, talk about your list, talk about Sasha Banks and Bailey, talk about anything else they want to talk about. Challenge you to a fight over who what had the best pre-match wrestling uh, videos. How can they do
1: so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross. Free, uh, free for the number of Kazuchka Okada matches I have in my top ten list.
0: My name's Lorcan Mullin. That's L O R C A N M U D L A at the end of Sasha. N for number one. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you want to give me an email, put an at gmail.com at the end of it. Our podcast uh, email address is, bowab, is uh, L-M-T-Y-S pod at gmail.com. The podcast that I also do about bad wrestling, bad British movies, one of them may be about wrestling in the future, is Best of Worst of British or bobob. Search for that in your, search, in your social medias as well. Um, lntyspod at gmail.com, lntys is our Twitter handle, and we have a Facebook page as well.
1: L-M-T-Y-S pod is our Twitter handle.
0: Yeah, I said that. You said lntys. Well, I said L-M-T-Y-S Pod at some point. Anyway, uh, what's our next match, Simon, as we go back to another long round of New Japan matches? This time we will cover eight New Japan matches for our next ten and two PWG matches. Oh, a
1: bit of variety. Before our,
0: and, and, of course, at that point, we will reach our 100th five-star match.
1: We'll do the thing that Joe Root fails to do so many times for England, get to a ton.
0: And also, of course, this is significant as well. This is all of 2017. We're going to cover a calendar year now, basically, because our 90th match was the 4th of January 2017. Our 100th match will be the 4th of January 2018 those six stars broke the bank and broke the brain simon what's the
1: first one that we're covering so it's two returning people to our list it's tetsuya naito taking on for the first time in new japan but not the first time on our list the unbreakable michael elgin taking place on sorry taking place on the 11th of february 2017
0: The IWGP Intercontinental title is on stake. And literally it's on the stake because I think Tosuyo Naito might set it on fire after this match is over.
1: (laughs) He hates it.
0: (laughs) But there's nothing left to say at this point except my name's Lorcan Mullen. my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a 5, 6, 10 star, whatever it is time. Until the next time.